Hey everyone, Steve here, and I just want to give a quick shout out to GJ Music Man, South Africa Link, and Brad Wachter for giving us reviews on iTunes. iTunes does their rankings based on an algorithm of downloads and reviews, so each review we get helps bump us up those podcast charts. If you like what you've heard on this show and you've got a moment, please go to iTunes and leave us an honest review. We'd appreciate it more than you know, and you'll probably get a shout out on a future episode. Thanks. There is uh, the uh, beginnings of a revival. I'm not sure that it's what people expect. Uh, I think that the the two previous great awakenings were kind of inside the church, if you will. I'm not sure this is inside the church as much as it is in the workplace, in the society as a whole. I think what's happening today is that uh, more and more we're seeing small little groups, little pockets that are coming together and, and, and the Lord is blessing uh, their efforts and they are getting energized to want to do something. And they're, they're looking at their pastor and saying, hey, I'm not getting anything out of him. I'm not getting truth from him. Yeah, I'll stay in the church because I want my children to be in Sunday school and learn, but we're going to move off over here and we're going to do some things on our own. And I see more and more of that as I travel around the country. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, and that was today's guest, General Jerry Boykin. Now, General Boykin is one decorated hero, and we're jazzed to have him on this show. Today, you're going to hear about where General Boykin thinks the culture is heading, some practical things you can do in your sphere to make a difference, and most importantly, some good news about what he's seeing on the horizon. Here's how my co-host John Ramstead and I got this energizing conversation started. So, Steve, today we have uh, yeah. just a, a great fan, not only to this country, but to myself, and is General Jerry Boykin. Uh, mm -hmm. Jerry, welcome to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. Thank you very much, John. I'm glad to be with you guys. Well, we are so excited to have you here. And as I just shared with you, I, I shared with a few people who are going to be on today. And um, I had hundreds of questions come in that people wanted me to ask you from the war against Islam uh, to just how to be a, a, a man of faith and just have a character and integrity that you had. And, you know, I'd love to start out, you know, reading your book, Never Surrender. Back when you were applying to Delta Force, the psychologist said that you weren't uh, qualified to enter Delta Force because of your faith. And I just love for you to just maybe share a little bit about that time in your life because that character and integrity of who you are has defined everything you've done in your life and is quite an example. Yeah, well, thanks. You you build me up uh, probably in a greater way than I need to be built up because I'm a man of many flaws and many frailties and uh, I'm just like everybody else um, I've been blessed to be able to serve the Lord uh, for you know most of my adult life but uh, when I was uh, in 1978 when I went through the Delta Force assessment selection program um, we started with 118 people and 30 days later, we only had 19 left, and that 19 were the 19 that had finished a uh, very long and arduous 40-mile trek through the mountains with uh, very heavy loads and actually in a snowstorm. So when we came back to Fort Bragg and the psychologist 
evaluated me, he gave me all this battery of tests, and then he evaluated me. He, he sat me down and said, you won't fit in here. He said, uh, I'm going to recommend against them taking you. And I, you know, I was stunned because I had actually finished that 40 miler uh, first, uh, 11 miles in 27 minutes. Wow. And, uh, and, and he said, I know you won't fit in here. And I said, why? And he said, because uh, you rely too much on your faith. Uh, you're not self-reliant enough. And, you know, I was absolutely stunned by that as to how he couldn't see that faith was an asset. Uh, now, they took me over, you know, over his objections. And, and But I, I will tell you that uh, I was, I didn't try to hide my faith. I wore it kind of on my sleeve, I guess. Uh, I, I made no bones about where I stood with regards to uh, uh, my faith, what I, what I believed, uh, you know, what, what the most important thing in my life was. And, and I guess he objected to that. And, and, you know, that was 1978. Think about today. Think about mm. today and what people are having to deal with when they try to stand for their faith. So think about today. Think about what it's like today when you stand up and say, I'm a Christian. You, you try to stand for biblical values. What, what does that mean today in terms of the way people are treated? Well, it's a lot worse than it was in 1978 when that psychologist sat across the table from me. I mean, today, when you, ta when you say, I'm a Christian, you know, you're jeopardizing uh, maybe even your opportunities, uh, chance of a job. A uh, chance of advancement. Uh, it's uh, it's it's gotten to the point now where, for us to be willing to stand up and say we are a Christian and, and espouse our biblical values, uh, takes a whole lot more courage than it did when I sat across from that psychologist in 1978. You know it does, and you know leaders today, this whole culture of political correctness, I and mean, we won't even. You know, the culture is they won't even identify who our real enemy is today with radical Islam. But, uh, you know, leaders that are afraid to speak out because they're afraid to be criticized. Um, what are some things in, you know, your history, you know, your journey that you could share with them? Because there were times where that was, uh, I'm sure, very front of mind with you. Yeah. Well, let me say this. Uh, rather than trying to go through different episodes and that type of thing. Let me say this. What what I discovered, and I think there's an important message here. What I discovered was my biggest critics, those who were most condemning of me and my faith and, you know, they called me preacher and, and uh, accused me of being holier than thou and all of that, which I never was because I've always recognized my frailties. I've recognized I'm no different than you. I'm just forgiven. Yeah. Uh, but many of those who were my most severe critics ultimately became allies. Now, one of two things had to happen for that to happen. Uh, either they had to reach a crisis in their life where what I represented, the faith that I represented, became important to them, or they had to be around long enough to realize that I was serious about it. It wasn't just a uh, you know, a, a part-time thing, that it was really who I am. And at that point, they began to actually respect uh, my faith and respect me for maintaining, a, a, you know, a vigilance with regards to the faith. And I think the message for people today is 
the same thing will happen to you. Even in today's environment, if you stick to your guns, if you stay true to what you believe, uh, it's only a matter of time until many of those who criticize you are going to actually come to you and pull you aside and say, you know, I need prayer. Uh, I've got a crisis in my life. I've got a situation uh, that I need prayer. I've had that happen many, many times. Mm. I bet that's happened from some surprising areas, people that you never expected them to approach you with that conversation. No, that's exactly right. It, uh, look, I've had uh, subordinates. I've had peers. I've had, I've had superiors. I had a guy sit in my office when I was a three-star general, a guy that had been very critical of me. But uh, he had a crisis in his life, and he came in my office, sat down, closed the door, and the tears began to flow as he said, I need you to pray for me. And uh, look, that's, I think we can all expect that things like that are going to happen. The problem is that so many Christians, are they go silent. They, they, they don't have the courage to, to stand firmly. You know, people, look, you need to, I think everybody needs to understand that the people around us are looking for truth. They want to see truth. And truth is not just what comes out of the Bible, but it's it's the boldness and the courage to stand for it that is part of this whole concept of truth. If you believe it, if it's true, if it's God's word and, and you believe it, then you got to be willing to stand for it. Look, I'm not an in-your-face Christian. I don't go stand on the street corner out here and, and yell at everybody that they're going to hell because they haven't repented of their sins. That's not that's not what God's called me to do, but he has called me to spread the gospel. He has called me to be a witness. He has called me to tell people about the good news of that gospel. But the way I do that is by being open about my own faith, about what I believe. Not, uh, not in a, uh, not in a, a way that is uh, threatening or, uh, you know, that uh, doesn't give them an opportunity to uh, respond to what I'm saying. In other words, uh, when I talk to people about the gospel, when I tell them about what I believe, I try to enter them in a, in a, in a dialogue where I truly want to hear what they say. I want to hear what their objections are. Now, but more importantly, I think in terms of where we are today in this country, mm. there's so much evil in America today. There's so much evil in the world, but there's so much evil in America today. There are so many examples of how we do exactly what Isaiah warned us about, which is woe unto you who call good evil and evil good. That when Christians don't stand up and call evil evil, they're actually calling it good by doing nothing, by saying nothing. So the real test of our faith is whether we're willing to stand up and be heard on these biblical issues when we know that the the, the, the norm has become for a Christian to just ignore the evil. And what did Edmund Burke say? The only thing that is needed for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. Well, that applies to the church. You know, it sure does. Jerry, what is your leadership vision right now? Um, my, and, and I don't know exactly how to answer that, but here's what I, here's what I believe. I believe that today... There is so little leadership in the church yes. that the whole body of Christ is suffering because I think that so many, not all, there are some very courageous pastors and spiritual leaders, 
but so many of them uh, have absolutely ceded, uh, you know, uh, terrain to the enemy. They've given over to 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 the enemy to the to the devil uh, because they're not willing to stand uh, on biblical principles. So there's just not enough courage. Now, let me tell you, of all the characteristics of a leader. If you take integrity off the table, because if you if you don't have integrity, you're not a leader anyhow. So we'll set that aside. Of all the characteristics that are needed today, courage is number one. Number one. But it's not just physical courage, just moral courage. It's courage when everybody else, when all your pastor friends, when all your Christian friends are are saying, well, that, that fight's over. Well, we've, you know, we're just not going to talk about that. Well, we may offend someone. Moral courage is when you as a, as a leader, as a Christian, will stand and say, no, this is what the Bible says. This is what I believe. I'm going to stand for it. I'm not going to compromise on this issue. Let me tell you, I'm, I'm seeing that in the Christian world today. I'm seeing leaders saying, oh, let's move on to something else. What they're saying is, I don't have the courage to stand on this fight. It may be life, it may be marriage, it may be family, it may be uh, any number of things, immigration. Yeah, it's not a popular topic. They don't want to draw the criticism and the rebukes from their identity is coming from the world in a popularity contest that they'll never win versus really coming from a relationship with Christ. Oh, that's exactly right. And, and you know, if you go back and... Uh, you know, look at the scriptures. The cowards are the most despicable of all. They're absolutely, they're the first ones that are cast out. The cowards. You see, the Bible says in in uh, the book of Isaiah, I think it's 7-9, the Bible says, if you won't stand firm in your faith, you won't stand at all. Think about that. If you won't stand firm in your faith, you won't stand at all. Well, I, I think that there's something in that scripture for all of us. Now, the Bible also says in Psalms 94, it says, who will take a stand against this evil for me? Who will rise up against these evildoers for me? That's God talking to us, to the church. Yeah. We have to take a stand against evil. If the church won't stand against evil, nobody will. Woe unto you who call good evil and evil good. There is evil in this country today. There is evil prevails. And the, if the church won't stand up against it, then there's nobody else that's going to. You know, no, Jerry, do you feel like there's an awakening or a revival or God moving in a, a way that might have been different in the recent past that you're sensing or feeling? There is. a. I think there is a, the... Uh, beginnings of a revival. I'm not sure that it's what people expect. Uh, I think that the the two previous great awakenings were kind of inside the church, if you will. I'm not sure this is inside the church as much as it is uh, in the workplace, in the in the society as a whole. And what I mean is, when we say revival, so so many of us, and I, I certainly do, because I'm from the South and I'm from, you know, kind of a fundamentalist church, and revival had a very uh, specific connotation in a big tent. It, that's right. It, it was a visiting preacher came, he put up a tent, 
and uh, and he hired a couple of local musicians, and and they had ten days of nightly services. Uh, or you know, your church sponsored some visiting evangelist who stayed with the pastor and his wife, and you know, you had a week of revival. I think it's different than that. I think what's happening today is that uh, more and more we're seeing revival in the workplace. We're seeing small little groups, little pockets that are coming together and and, and the Lord is blessing uh, their efforts and they are getting energized to want to do something. And they're, they're looking at their pastor and saying, hey, I'm not getting anything out of him. I'm not getting truth from him. Yeah, I'll stay in the church because I want my children to be in Sunday school and learn, but we're going to move off over here and we're going to do some things on our own. And I see more and more of that as I travel around the country. You know, it's interesting if you look at over the last 20 years, who's had more impact on our culture, Bill Gates and Facebook or the entire evangelical movement? And I would argue that it's business. So what you're talking about, Jerry, the place where leaders can have the most impact is actually having the courage to go in right where they're at because they have the influence around 5, 10, 100, 1,000 lives. And if you look at, and I know you've studied, you know, revivals and movements from the American Revolution and around, it only takes 3 4% of the people to, to change their mindset to affect massive change. So if you're speaking to a leader out there who wants to be more courageous, they're developing in that faith, but they want to make an impact right where they're sitting or standing right now in this culture, you know, to engage the body of Christ and the church, but the, their own lives. What, what would you share with them? Yeah. Let me give you my thoughts on, on, on what you as an individual Christian can do right now. First of all, you can get informed. Mm-hmm. The problem is most people don't know what's going on. They're not informed on these uh, these issues that impact all of us, but that are are grounded in biblical truth. So get informed. Don't just sit mindlessly and watch CNN and Fox News. And there's there's so many other outlets that will allow you to know what's going on in this country. So get informed, and don't do anything until you get informed. Second thing is, get involved. Now, this notion that the church should stay out of politics, I think, is one of the most damaging and dangerous uh, concepts that has uh, permeated the church in, in, you know, the last 200 years. Yeah, they've Um, abdicated their total responsibility in our culture. That's right. That's exactly right. What What you're doing when you take that attitude is you're ceding territory to the devil. You're saying, I love this country, and but I'm not going to get involved in in how it's governed. I'm not going to get involved in the political process. Therefore, I'm going to leave that to you, Satan. And that's exactly what we're doing when we don't get involved. Get involved in the political process. Look, John, you ought to run for Congress. You you are, you know, Christians should be running for office. And some will say, well, oh, my goodness, I can't do that. Really? Well, you'd be surprised uh, how many have over the history of this country. How many people uh, that have run for office that were actually pastors or spiritual leaders or had training in in, uh, theology. So, yeah, you can run, but you don't have to run. You can get into somebody's campaign. Get in behind somebody. 
uh, push somebody that you know that uh, has uh, your values and, and get in behind them, support them, work in their campaign, and then vote. If you don't vote, uh, I won't say it's a sin, but, but well, I will. That's a sin. <laughs> and you can quote me on that. But All no, right. you, on a serious thing, you have to vote. Yeah. You really have to vote because, you know, one day we're all going to stand before the Lord. And, uh, you know, it's called the judgment seat of Christ. And we're going to give an account. And I think that there's going to be some questions. Uh, I really do. I really, there's going to be some questions about what we did with the opportunities we had. And one of those opportunities is to make a difference in how this country is governed. And in doing that, make a difference in the direction of this country. So now the next thing is. Get involved in some organization. Get off the pew of the church and get involved in some organization. Look, it can be uh, something right in your church. It can be uh, it can be an evangelistic thing in your church. It can be a humanitarian thing where you meet the needs of God's people. It can be uh, 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 any kind of thing in your neighborhood, a uh, soup kitchen or whatever. But you can get involved in a, a tea party. And I'm, I'm not here to advocate for the tea parties. I'm just saying that kind of thing. You can get involved in, in a political uh, campaign, but also in a political entity that is trying to make a difference in, uh, in your community, in your state. And you can go to city hall uh, meetings. When the town council is having a meeting, you ought to be there. When the school board is having a meeting, you ought to be there. You ought to be there to know what's happening with regards to the education of our children, with regards to these ordinances that are passed by these city councils or these county boards of commissioners. You know, there's been some uh, things passed that were absolutely ungodly, like non-discrimination ordinances, San Antonio, Texas, Houston, Texas, uh, places where city councils have passed ordinances that discriminate against Christians, and that was because Christians were asleep. Christians, 18% of the people in, in Houston, for example, went to the polls and voted, and what they got was a mayor and a city council that winds up discriminating against Christians in these ordinances that they passed on there. So... And you can look that up and you can figure out what I'm talking about. I won't go into it in any great detail. But get involved in what's going on. Go to these meetings and so forth. And then finally, let your representative hear from you. Let them know that you're out there, that you care. Let them know where you stand. Don't be afraid to call them, to email them. And when I talk to them here in Washington, because I work with the Congress every week, I say, what's the most effective way? They'll look at me and they'll say, well, and I don't want this to get around, but <laughs> if they call my office, that has more impact than sending a email or, or a fax. Jerry, Let them I don't know. Go ahead. Jerry, I'm, I subscribe to Pastor Rick Joyner's newsletter, and he just this week mentioned that he came back from a trip in D.C. where for the first time in years, he feels encouraged. For years and years, he has gone to D.C. to pray with, to pray for leaders, and he has felt a little discouraged, a little more discouraged, a little more discouraged. But he highlighted you specifically on this trip, saying that you were going out there educating, teaching people 
Jerry, what exactly are you doing out there? How how are you modeling leadership that Pastor Rick Joyner comes out encouraged? Yeah. First of all, it's plain, very simple. I'm telling them the truth. Uh, not, not a politically correct version. I'm telling them the truth. Now, you know, you guys know, I get hammered for it. I get criticized for it. But what we have to do is we have to reach that stage in our lives where we're more concerned about the future of our grandchildren than we are what somebody says about us today. When you reach that point, you become more effective. It's a great perspective. Yeah. And that's where I am. My wife and I are both there. And Rick, when we were, I took Rick to a couple of meetings last week. One on the Hill and the other one at a big meeting on, uh, on, on countering the threat of Islam. And by the way, Rick was very articulate in, in uh, the presentation that he did at, at one of those meetings. He was very articulate. He, he literally had an anointing on him. <laughs> but that said, all he heard was truth. It was truth. It wasn't anything fancy, but it was not politically correct. It was truth. So when I spoke, for example, to the members of Congress there the first thing that morning, I just spoke truth to them. When I spoke to the uh, countering uh, jihad meeting that we went to, I just spoke truth to them. And that's, I think, what Rick saw was he saw a lot of other people that were talking about uh, the, the realities and the truth and not trying to water it down, not trying to be PC, not trying to play the role of uh, Obama and, and his sycophants, but trying to let people know what's really going on. You know, Jerry, what I'm really hearing here is, you, you know, like you, you wrote the Plan B report, correct? Which yeah. I read. If people want to get really informed about the threat from, from radical Islam. But what what you're talking about is creating an awareness of what's around you and what's going on just in your community. Even the, the, the smallest things sound to me like they have very large impacts. I've gone to some, some of these meetings recently and some of the conversations are blowing my mind at how idiotic they sound as an outsider coming in. I had no idea. So I, you know, I think as people just do a little bit, pull God into that, create that truth. So what, you know, if you're looking at, you we're talking to leaders out there, they're running companies, they, they have spheres of influence. What are some final thoughts that you'd want to leave with them as we wrap up on just how to live a life of significance and impact? Yeah. If you're a, uh, if you're a Christian, uh, then you have a, an obligation to to be a warrior in God's kingdom. Uh, Exodus fifteen three says the Lord is a what a warrior. The Lord is His name, and Revelation nineteen says when Jesus returns, He's coming back as a warrior, and that means that we have to be warriors in His kingdom while we're here on earth. What is the warrior? The warrior is the individual that knows what he cares about, what he holds dear, faith, family, freedom, country, and he knows what threatens it, the forces of evil. And he says, I will stand between what I hold dear and what threatens what I hold dear. That's what the warrior is. The warrior is not the one with a bunch of bandoliers hanging off of him. 
The warrior is the one that has a transcendent cause. So every Christian should say, what, what do I believe in? That's the first thing. What do I believe in? Do I believe the Bible? Do I believe biblical truth? Do I really believe this? When the, when the Bible says, woe unto you who, hold, who call good evil and evil good, do I believe that that woe is a serious warning? What do I believe in? Okay, once we determine what we believe in, then we, as Christians, we should ask ourselves, what price am I willing to pay? What price am I willing to pay for what I believe in? Am I willing to stand for it? Am I willing to be heard? Am I willing to, when all others have compromised and bowed a knee to bail, am I actually willing to stand? If we can say that, yes, we are, we're willing to stand no matter the price, we know what our transcendent cause is, then it's just a simple matter of going out and doing it and trusting the Lord, trusting the Lord that his hand will be upon us. That's why I was talking to Miss Kay. Everybody knows Miss Kay. By Doug Dynasty. Mm-hmm. With with a bit of emotion, Miss Kay said to me, they're threatening to kill my husband. LGBT groups were calling, threatening to kill him after he so famously described what you know homosexuality was about and uh, voiced his objections to same-sex marriage and LGBT groups started sending him threatening emails and calls and that type of thing. And Ms. Kay said, they're threatening to kill my husband. I said, Ms. Kay, your husband is the voice for the Christian community today. He's doing what all of us as Christians should be doing. Mm-hmm. And he's doing that because God's called him to do it, because God finally found a man that had the courage to do it. And as long as he's doing what God's called him to do, you don't need to worry about him. It's if he stops doing what God's calling him to do. Where are we as Christians? Are we doing what God's called us to do? Do we rely on his divine protection and intervention because... We're doing what he's called us to do. No, that's, you don't need to worry if you're doing what he's called you to do. What you need to worry is when you're running from him. When you know what the calling is and you're not doing it, that's when you need to worry because ultimately there's a price to be paid for that, a disobedience to God. Oh, I don't think he's going to strike you down. That's not my point. But you're going to miss the blessings. And you're going to stand by and you're going to watch somebody else doing what maybe what God's called you to do because you weren't willing to be obedient and follow his calling. That's that's the way I see it. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Well, Jerry, thank you. You know, you started out talking about how your faith is an asset and talked about how important it is to just stand on your principles and have that courage. And you know, talking about Phil and so many people have grown to respect him as he stood on principles in the adversity. And I think that's just such a great example to close with because I know you've done that in your life. And I just really thank you for coming and sharing this message with our audience. This is going out to leaders. And, you know, our prayer is really that through the work that we're doing, we pay a small part in just transforming this culture 
back to a culture that honors God. And that's why Steve and I are doing this. And we thank you for having a, a part in helping get that message out. Well, Steve, you and John, God bless you for what you're doing. You're you're great Americans, but you're great men of God, and I appreciate being part of this. So God bless you. Well, thank you, sir. If you'd like to learn more about General Boykin, his speaking, his books, The Warrior Soul, and Never Surrender, just go to our show notes at eternalleadership.com slash 060. That's eternalleadership.com slash 060. And there we'll have those links and a lot more. That's eternalleadership.com slash 060. Thanks for listening. And if, if you would, connect with us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn, like our private LinkedIn group where you can interact with John, myself, and many of our guests. And if you think about it, if we've been making an impact in your life, could you share this show with a few people that you think would like it? We'd really appreciate that. Thanks. Next time on Eternal Leadership, commercial real estate developer and philanthropist, Brian Watson. You know, there's people out there who believe in a single slice of pie, and everybody's trying to fight over that single slice of pie. And, you know, if I get a bite of it, then I've taken away from somebody else. Well, I believe that, you know, we should be in the pie-making business, and we should make more pies and uh, create, you know, a larger opportunity for people. So I encourage people to work together, uh, to be open and to be collaborative with each other, and that by doing so, there's going to be more opportunity, more learning lessons, and frankly, more resources, financial and otherwise, available for them. I love that perspective. He talks about how to leverage your time, talent, and treasure, no matter how small you may think it is, to maximize your kingdom impact. Don't miss it. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership.